Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. My co-host, as always, is Steve Walsh. Hello. Today we went to Nine Elms, uh, popped into the New Covent Garden Market, tried to post a letter at the sorting office, had a look at what's going to be the biggest area in London at some point. Nine Elms, between Battersea and Vauxhall, has been described by The Economist as a triangular wasteland bounded by the Thames, a railway line, and London's nastiest traffic interchange. They also called it the last unkempt riparian stretch of central London. It's about to undergo what The Economist call the biggest redevelopment in central London since the Great Fire. Boris Johnson uh, called it the the most important regeneration story in London and the UK over the next 20 years. And I think it's fair to say it will be pretty huge. So yeah. we're uh, we went today to Nine Elms to have a look at what it's like now because by 2020 at the very latest it's going to be a very different place. Rowan Moore in the Guardian said it makes the much discussed Olympic legacy look puny. The biggest change is going to be the development of the area around Battersea Power Station. You know, it's been a lot of false starts in terms of Battersea Power Station being developed into something on a even semi-permanent level. But it looks like the repurposing of the building itself, but also the development of the area around it, is going to define the space that has for a long time been abandoned. You say that, but it seems to me the catalyst for the whole thing, really, is uh, going back to 2008 when the US Embassy announced that they were moving into Nine Elms, and that's... uh, a bit away from uh, Battersea Power Station. And, I mean, that is massive news, isn't it? Yeah. This, this mean, week, the Dutch embassy have announced they're going to move to to Nine Elms as oh, well. Oh, really? Yeah, they um, said that their current building in High Park Gate is uh, too big and not suitable for modern diplomacy. And also... <laughs> they also it, it's rude. <laughs> <laughs> it's cuts, essentially, with the Dutch embassy. But it seems, you know, once... US opens an NBC somewhere, you know, people find Well, that's the thing. Bit. I had a look, and at the moment, there are no embassies or consulates in London, south of the river. And I'd imagine, historically, there never have been. So, the US embassy relocating to this side of the river is huge. But it would be interesting to see if this starts a new trend. Of... Well, it is starting a new trend. Yeah. That's yeah. two, yeah. Um, and other news, Steve, uh, it's been reported that the Chinese, the Chinese, mm-hmm. the Chinese are looking to take over the Royal Mail sorting office, which dominates the area, oh, and right. make that their embassy, not wow. the sorting office. Presumably they'll get rid of like the post box and stuff. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's a huge thing that's happening. It's like a second Canary Wharf. And by Canary Wharf, I mean the area, not uh, one Canada Square. The building with a pointy top. Well, with Battersea Power Station, I compared it to um, what's happened at the site of the Millennium Dome, the sort of transformation of that into uh, a leisure spot. I mean, what they seem to be planning for Battersea Power Station is theatres, cinemas, just leisure space, essentially, restaurants. It's the combination of those two things, I think, isn't it? It suddenly becomes a diplomatic and business quarter as well as a shopping and culture destination. We, we saw today evidence that this sort of diplomatic development and leisure development has also driven 
property development in terms of residential buildings. So they're sort of popping up as well. Yeah, I mean, there's 16,000 new homes, but that doesn't really help me. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be... Uh, it's not a tag they'll use, but you can just label it under uh, unaffordable housing, that, yeah. essentially. But like 25,000 jobs, I mean, this is... You know, this is this will be one of London's new centres, won't it? The guy from the National Trust has said that there's going to be a wall of glass from Bermondsey to Battersea. Um, and he said that if you go to Rome or Paris, you don't see this. He said London's the only major city where the tall buildings policy is anarchic and corrupt. I can Basically, see... you just buy your way into... Yeah. No. I've never been a big fan of this respecting the architecture around you sort of thing you know people go how does it fit in yeah like, whatever if it looks good do it I, 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 I do think you should respect the architecture around you but I think the important thing about Nine Elms specifically is there is no architecture around I mean there, there was the, you know the power station is the dominant uh, space in the area then there's a sort of enough, it's all the it's all industrial buildings so mm. if they're being repurposed and then and a lot of it along the riverside itself along a lot of what is being built on was you know warehousing and to do with um, the docks industry that doesn't exist anymore. So it was essentially, as it was described in that article in the Economist, it was waste ground. So the fact that things are being built it doesn't mean you're knocking down historical buildings. Doesn't mean you're obscuring historical buildings. The 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 as I say, the key building in the area in terms of history and architecture is Battersea Power Station. And then no one's going to build anything to dominate because it'd be madness. That's your branding, isn't it? That's yeah, what you're yeah. building the area around. The fact this thing is, and you can't, um, you can't build everything to match a hundred year old power station, can you? I mean, <laughs> that'd be that'd be bizarre. Why has every house along this road got four chimneys on it? <laughs> if you make stuff out of glass, which as we've discovered, you know, we're basically living in the glass age, aren't we? Well, you're you're a massive glass age advocate. Aren't I'm you? on the development committee. You're a, a passionate uh, advocate of glass. But the so. thing is, it's see through, isn't it? So what glass? Know, yeah. So you know, whatever. People are tuned in. <laughs> so we talked about the future, and let's talk about the history of Nine Elms. No need to tell us where the name comes from. For a long time, as with most of, particularly the South Bank of the River, but the river itself, it was industrial. It was docks, and you can still see the evidence of that with piers and docks and the space being open for development because it would have been warehousing to do with that and even the, the businesses that are there the like the sorting office and the market are all about operating on scale isn't it it's all about uh sort of mass movement of goods even today where the docks aren't there but it's still a sort of transit point for goods to move through um as i say it looks like moving forward they're going to try and redevelop it more as a, a stronger sort of residential or a stronger sort of you say with the the embassies you'll get um an administrative tone to the place and obviously leisure with uh, the redevelopment of the power station an administrative tone to the place. Oh, so, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah low swampy district occasionally overflowed by the thames yeah, described in uh, 1848 as uh, having uh, the, the windmills uh, that lined uh, the river and uh, its location next to the river, giving the area a Dutch effect, which is nice. There's a transitional period where the docks are essentially defunct um, and you haven't sort of reached a point where it's going to be a residential area, it's going to be uh, particularly known in terms of 
business or leisure, and it becomes the terminus for a train line. You get Nine Elms Railway Station, which becomes alongside the the power station, which arrives um, around the same time as the sort of focal point of the area. The terminus and the uh, yards were there from 1838 to 1909. And it was, you know, major. And in that time, uh, in 1850, Clemente Massarano, are you familiar with him, Steve? No. He was an Italian inventor. And he was given the use of Nine Elms Yards to try out his new invention, the Impulsoria. Which I'll show you a picture, Steve. It's four horses on a treadmill which powers a train. The idea was that steam locomotives were burning six penny worth of coal a mile, whereas horses were only costing two shillings to feed a day. So he put these horses on a treadmill to power a vehicle. And the idea is that they would go up to 20 miles an hour. And uh, in the test, they only went up to seven miles an hour. That's not the only problem, though, is it? Well, (laughs) suffice to say, it didn't catch on. No. It was, they showed it at the Great Exhibition in Crystal Palace in 1851, which was a year later. Um, and Dr. Andrea Crestadoro improved the design. To the horse it off. just... The <laughs> <laughs> steam engine and went, now it's a train. Yeah, it's fine now. And it, I mean, it disappeared into history, basically. Like some German guy bought it a couple of years after that, and then it was never seen again. It's but a remarkable... I mean, they yeah, never tried it, I, this before. The mechanics of it, I can see, would function. But it's just such a, it's such a ridiculous idea, isn't it? Four horsepower. It, did, it didn't catch no. on. No. It was very much the uh, Sinclair C5 of its day. Yeah, I imagine a lot of people at the Great Exhibition saying all the things that I'm saying. They're like, right, how are we supposed to move <laughs> anything, though? We're relying yeah. on what four horses can pull. Okay. Have you got much of an idea, Steve, of what went on in Nine Elms between 1909 and 1974 when they opened New Covent Garden? Uh, fruit and veg and the flower market. I don't know which one came first. I think, as I say, I think it was at that point, as with a lot of uh, the docks, sort of with the advent of the railways and the rise of uh, the industrial age, where you are moving, you know, it's all about moving huge amounts of stuff, huge weights of stuff, and doing it as quickly as possible. So, you know, the the train is, is, you know... uh, king at this point so and with you know 907 it was uh useful but it's it's quickly uh surrounded by other stations that are better positioned so it you know goes out of business so at that point there's no demand for the area that's the thing you have to sort of you know at, at this point as well you've still got the the dominant thing in the area is the power station and do people want to be living next to a power station you know those chimneys are not a joke we we think of battles about station purely as yeah in aesthetic terms yeah, yeah as a visual the visual appeal of it but when it was a fully functioning power station and is producing you know that this is is one of the things that we've talked about on the show before the idea of riverside property being uh desirable is a very modern thing essentially from about 1980 onwards where mm. you know uh you know we've got enough you know, clean fuel in the sense of uh, the effects are moved away from the towns, that the river suddenly, you know, you haven't got waste being pumped directly into the Thames. You haven't got 
industry based along the Thames that's then sort of throwing its uh, pollutants in there. So, so, you know, the river gets cleaned up and uh, it becomes desirable to build properties on there, but not in 1909. In 1909, you've still got, you know, tanners and, uh, yeah, power stations, you know, and it's not, uh, where we're from Tate Modern, it's not the, the only power station along the river. You've got, you know, the smog, and we talked about it in terms of uh, the Festival of London, 1951. You know, as late as then, they've had to zone off a particular part of the river and clean it up so it's acceptable to bring people into it. And either side of it, it was still, you know, smeared with the grime of industry. And that's what, you know, Nine Elms would have been like at that time. I think a lot of people will only know the name Nine Elms because they've seen on pillar boxes where it says, you know, there's 5.30, this, uh, you know, it's 12.30 on Saturdays. And if you want a late one, go to Nine Elms, it's half past seven. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if we've got listeners who've sort of had to sort of uh, run or uh, cycle or whatever <laughs> just to, you know, get to Nine Elms by like 7.25 or whatever to post some important letter. But we tried to post something there today. <laughs> um, I've sent it back my Dr. Dre Beats headphones. I've sold them on on Amazon, actually. If you go to com, click the Amazon link and then buy your Amazon stuff and then we'll get a little bit of money. Uh, do that. Uh, I just bought some uh, Klipsch headphones from there. Uh, we'll see if they're better. Two sets, one for indoors and one for out. You know, a man of many headphones. <laughs> but yeah, you can't... There's no post office there, man. It's just a box, isn't it? Well, to be fair, the, the entrance we found was for emergency services only. No, but when I went on... Um, I looked on the Royal Mail website while we were on the go. Right. And... You can't. There's no post office there. It's just a, just pillar boxes. Okay. Very useful if you've got a stamp, but when you've got <laughs> a hundred and forty pound pair of headphones, you know. <laughs> but yeah, similarly, the sorting office springing up itself is is still industrialization action, isn't it? It's yeah, it's just jobs, isn't it? Isn't and nothing it? Yeah. else. There's no. Re- you wouldn't go there to visit. No, would you? absolutely. It is. It is a warehouse again, isn't it? It's just a big boxy building that's going to be filled with people just processing and processing and processing and getting these letters and packages out amongst countries as you say it's not something you're going to pop into or pop to, around to see but in 1974 you know Bowie was releasing Diamond Dogs and Overload <laughs> new Covent Garden market opened relocated from Covent Garden directly I believe so yeah yeah because I guess you would have had to do it immediately you couldn't sort of really have a, a period where there wasn't this focal point for people to get fruit and veg on that sort of scale yeah, um, yeah. So Nine Elms was presumably chosen because it is fairly central. There is loads of land there that was uh, easily space, uh, space to build. Yeah, it. easily yeah. picked up, and also it's like motorways almost, isn't it? Yeah, you know, A roads. Are they called A roads? I never know what roads are called. No, but I know what you mean. It's a sort mm. of thing where it's the, it's very easy to get in. Yeah, because people have are... got the bridges as well either side to sort of get across to central London. There's two markets there, uh, the flower market and the fruit and veg market. We met there this morning at uh, 7 o'clock so we could catch the end of the wholesale trade, which we didn't, it was long gone. And, you know, some of the kind of retail trade and just the general hustle and bustle, but it runs from like midnight until It opens at 3 in the morning. One of them opens at 3, one opens at midnight. Oh, okay. Yeah. We made the mistake though of meeting at two different markets. Yeah, you met. You went to the flower market. I went to the fruit and veg market. So, 
And it's getting from one to the other is a nightmare. And the thing is, it's one of those wonderful moments where even with mobile phones, we ran each other and went, well, I went outside the market. And you're like, can you see uh, a number? I was like, yeah, entrance 10. You're like, is there a letter? I was like, no. And you're like, I'm at entrance 19. I walk around and I was like, okay, I'll wait here. And then uh, you probably did at least one circuit, maybe two. I did one circuit and it did occur to me that um, I had a look on... I was You were saying you were by Vauxhall Tower. And I was just thinking... What does he mean by it? Does he mean just sort of at that end? And then it did occur to me that he's a, he's only gone to the flower market. <laughs> but yeah, we got together. You'd I'd sort of had a little scout around the flower market. You'd had a little scout around the fruit and veg market. So we went into the flower market initially, didn't we? Yeah, um, I'm not a big flower guy, Steve. I'll tell you you mean about not being uh, a flower guy, but I think just the scale of it is... Uh, it's like going to, uh, I'd imagine... Like going to like uh, the Chelsea Flower Show. Just sort of like the sheer mass mm. of stuff around you. Um, interesting cafe as well, right in the middle of it. Yeah, it's that's like a show home cafe, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's just got some flats thrown up. Yeah. Flats as in like, you know, like in the theatre, you know, yeah. the boards. And uh, yeah, I mean, I had a croissant and a coffee. And we just sat on this sofa. Unfortunately, there were loads of Chelsea pictures up you know just things they're all market guys so they all support Chelsea in it they had um on the actual flower show as well on the wall it said uh 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 Covent Garden flower market notice boards but and then it was just like a collage of Chelsea pictures but then the notice board seemed to have been taken off the wall and just leaning against the bottom with all the actual notices on it much more important to have a photo of Dave in Istanbul celebrating the European <laughs> Cup win we made our way over to the fruit and veg market. Um, not as many hunter-gatherers as I was expecting to see. We think we might have seen a couple, and there were people yeah, on um, bikes. Yeah, we did, yeah. That girl on the bike with the with the like, leather pannier bag. Yeah. You know, she was definitely filling up with like old apples. Because the thing is, you can't go to a market that deals in industrial levels of supply on a bike, can you? You can't sort of go, just stack them. Yeah. You know, 10 boxes of courgettes, just stack them. Stack them carefully, so I am going to be cycling out of it. It's just like sank out of a circus, isn't it? Yeah, she was probably picking up stuff for dinner. It does sort of fascinate me. I mean, it's one of those sort of things you fantasise. You think, if I was homeless, like I'd definitely just go and like forage around New Covent Garden Market. But if you were homeless, like most likely you'd have substance abuse problems or you'd be mental. So like it don't really work. It's not a practical thing, is it? It's not like, how can I practically feed myself on, like, zero pounds? Yeah. You're not going to definitely... No. <laughs> you could definitely get a casserole done, though, with what you can uh, find there. Where are you cooking it? Talking about casseroles. Just in a, in a thing, in it, In a, what do you call it? Uh, beans tin. In it, hobo cooking. Okay. Over a flame, over a flaming drum. Obviously, you know about hobo cooking. <laughs> you've changed. <laughs> yeah, you've got quite the vision of... Uh... <laughs> Homeless is 21st century. 21st century Britain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a quite pungent smell, isn't it? There's one nice bit, isn't it? Where's that like spicy tomato smell? Yeah. That we was, were like yeah. the Bisto kids. We were just following this round <laughs> going, where is that coming from? But we didn't buy anything. No. Or indeed pick up anything off the floor. You picked a mango up off the floor. But then you put it back on the floor. Yeah. You picked yeah, it up. Because it was... I mean, what's wrong with this? And oh, then you turned right. it over and you're like, <laughs> it's rancid. So you like, thought? Oh, right. That's why it was thrown away. And you were trying to convince me of the virtues of some abandoned tomatoes, but... Yeah, because you don't have high standards for cuisine. 
Yeah, but you know, found food. It's just exactly, not, yeah, it's found not, food. not a thing, is it? God, you shop at Aldi, Steve. <laughs> it's one step up. Yeah, I was, I was quite relieved that uh, I don't know why I expected because it is fresh fruit and veg. But I expected the, the smell to be quite overpowering and not particularly nice. Yeah, but it's not Billingsgate, is it? No. You know I mean, yes, like, that yeah. would that would just be unbearable. But Or like when you go to the countryside and the whole place stinks. And similarly, like, I, you know, I work on Berwick Street, so I see the market every day. And like, on obviously a much smaller scale. You know, because that's the thing, by the time we got there, what you see is uh, just the detritus left though, after the sort of industrial scale thing. So there's loads of empty boxes abandoned cages just discarded things all over the place and you realize that you know obviously every day that at some point you're going to get people going around just plowing all this rubbish into one corner and just mm. running and you know similarly in berwick street uh that you get just the chaos left after the market but then they send down essentially a team to clean it up every mm. single day just to go down um, do you see people picking up fruit? In yeah, absolutely. Street? Yeah, yeah. You do see people sort of like, you know, just uh, reaching down, having a look at an orange again. That's fine. Oh, orange. Put it in the pocket. Yeah, an orange. It's in yeah, a packet, orange. isn't it? Yeah. Essentially. Nature's, Nature's packet. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting just sort of seeing uh, all this rubbish sort of blowing around and yeah, seeing the sort of the aftermath of it. Supplies 40% of London's fruit and vegetables. Well, eaten outside the home in London. Yeah. The flower market supplies 75% of uh, London's florists. Where are the other 25% going? Columbia Road Market. Ah. Now, that's a a nice market, man. That's only open on a Sunday morning, I think. Closes like 11 or something. Me and Lakeisha went there once, because there's some quite, like, Lakeisha-type shops there. You know, (laughs) like, uh, those kind of, like, Lordship Lane toot shops. (laughs) By the sounds of it, they've been trying to close New Covent Garden Market since about 1990. Yeah, they've been trying to sell it on. But no Which is not a long time, is it, since it only opened in 74? No, yeah. Maybe they realise they made a huge error. Well, you'd imagine um, they're not making a ton of money out of it, but it's important, isn't it? You know, what's going to happen if it's not there? I don't know. What would happen if it's not there? I, yeah, I suppose it would just it would disperse across London. You get lots of small warehouses. I mean, basically, you go, when you go there, it's lots of little suppliers that have clubbed together to form one huge uh, operation. So they would all then just be forced to find individual spaces to operate out of. And it would just be uh, a nightmare. For, uh, Am I right in thinking that we don't need to think uh, about what would happen if it's not there because it is getting regenerated and in 2020 it'll be, you know, fully... I don't know. I, I would say that the greater likelihood is you're going to get the rise of the supermarkets, the decline of mm. independent traders and the market essentially will be phased out. Yeah, when... And then it'll become a, you know, a nice bit of uh, garden space for the American Embassy. Yeah, when Nine Elms is uh, the new place to go in London, you know, they could end up getting squeezed out, couldn't they? Yeah. Walking down from Vauxhall Station down Nine Elms Lane, um, coming towards the market, and then walking around afterwards, heading around to the power station, the sorting office. The feel of the place, I think, even with the new buildings going up, there's, it feels very sort of 1980s. It feels like the sort of development of Docklands that's sort of captured in uh, the Long Good Friday. 
you know, the, the buildings that were built. And it reminded me most, in terms of where we've been on the show before, of um, Surrey Docks. The sort of style of the architecture, the use of, of red brick, a lot of glass, a lot of plastic. There's a lot of sort of quite dated attempts to be modern, I think. And just sort of, as I say, walking down uh, at the top of Nine Elms Lane, like opposite uh, the new tower development, you've got this little uh, corner where there's like this red brick club complex uh, called Club Coliseum. And it's got this other place called Vox on the side. And you just get the feel that like round about 1986, an office building opened up. Mm. And they were like, we can make so much money off of the city traders that are going to be operating out of here. But then probably just, you know, some sort of paper supply company moved in. And it's not, you know, the glamorous. Yeah, I read um, someone making reference to, uh, was it St. George's Wharf? Yeah, yeah. You know, that they've been sitting there for 20 years waiting for this area to be yeah. redeveloped. <laughs> but yeah, with... Uh... Just the names Vox and Club Coliseum as well just seems very sort of provincial and not it's quite eighties as well. Yeah, it's it? an eighties idea of glamour, isn't it? And like when you know, just looking at Club Coliseum, they've got like these signs on the door uh, or these signs going up the steps to where the doors are. It's like um, general entrance and the VIP entrance, and you're like, it's Lady Gaga is going to go to Club mm. Coliseum, and she you need to have a special entrance for all the celebs. Are you feeling positive or negative about it, Steve, on the whole? I wasn't sure about it until I saw the photograph on the sides of the hoarding. And uh, I was almost hypnotised by it, just envisioning, sort of having walked through the space and seen how empty and how many gaps there are between buildings. I think just sort of seeing what they plan to do, it looks so sort of vivid that, you know, yeah, I was, yeah, I was very excited about it. Yeah, the plans are big, aren't they? I think the negative things that come with it are, are, are almost irrelevant. Like, you know, the fact that they're building all expensive houses. Like, this, so there's a massive social housing problem. This is not going to... Yeah. This is not part of it. And it was never... The the issues with social housing in South London, specifically in London generally, were never going to be solved by Riverside Development. No, That's no, they're not. Yeah, the there's no alternative where this is. They're going to just build loads of social housing there. But obviously, the, if you gave me the choice between those two things, they go with the social housing. Yeah. But that's not going to happen. The best case scenario here is the fact that it's going to be um, hopefully a massive level of job creation. Yeah, twenty five thousand jobs, yeah. and that's all different kinds of things, isn't it? Yeah. Like we said, and also the development itself. There's, there's building jobs, uh, which you know have taken quite ahead over the last few years and you know once uh th- this new complex is open that's going to create you know um a lot of, of general jobs as well new tube as well um northern line extension from kenneton to nine elms and battersea never have enough tubes because as much as no it's so it's, close to Vauxhall station i don't see no, it's not that close is it it's like 15 20 minute walk imagine no, but it's just like, I know, like, yeah, getting buses is fine a lot of the time. Like, the tube <laughs> yeah. is not the be-all and end-all of everything. But, like, the difference between being able to walk five minutes and get on a tube and then you pay one price and get out at the station you want to get out at rather than having to get a bus to a tube station or walk to a tube station for 20 minutes. Like, See, the thing is, because I've never lived near the tube, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm completely indifferent to Well, it. it's coming. 
That's the thing. They never. They, who was it who bought Battersea Power Station? Some foreign thing, yeah. wasn't it? Singapore, was it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. You know, they're not going to do it without a tube, are they? It's a bit like the new uh, stadium at Tottenham. Like, it's it's at least 20 minutes walk to Seven Sisters, and that's just unacceptable, man. People need to be on there and out of the area of Tottenham as soon as possible. Do you know what I mean? So that's, you know, that's good. There's talk as well of a High Line Park. You know what that is? No. It's... A park that's narrow. It's not a park, basically. It's just a stretch of grass that often on this year's railway tracks uh, where they just turn it into like a really long park. So there might be benches and stuff. But essentially it just links up areas, um, forcing people to walk places or, you know, giving them the option to have a pleasant walk. I suppose um, it's like a modern equivalent of like the canal walk in Burgess Park. You know those bits where it gets quite narrow. Yeah. And like you, you're in a park, but essentially you're just on like you're being fooled into going on a half an hour walk. <laughs> but there's one in Manhattan, or at least one, that um, apparently has been tremendously successful. So that's kind of what they're going for. Do you think uh, there's any controversy in having the US Embassy in South London, Steve? Are we going to have a terrorist attacks now? Well, uh, just like the roads. You've got MI5, so if, you know, terror cells wanted an excuse to bombard South London, go for that, innit? <laughs> go for it. I mean, don't go for that. Definitely don't go for that, but, uh, yeah. MI5, or is it six? Whichever one it is, you know, MI1, 2, 3, 4. It's a secret. Is <laughs> a famously conspicuous building, and the same is true for the US Embassy. Not that you're not going to know where the US Embassy is. But they have they made... actually tell people so they can get visas. I mean, yeah. you know. they've made a conscious decision to go with something that doesn't look like a bunker. Yeah, you know, which is apparently post nine eleven. They've just been building these embassies that are just like Fort Knox, you know. And it's a twelve story glass cube. I say glass, you know, it's uh, blast resistant, obviously, and uh, surrounded by ethylene tetrafluoroethylene polymer scrim. Easy for you to say. Two weeks in a row. <laughs> Sitting atop a colonnade, surrounded by parklands, lakes, and moat. I like parts of it. I think moats are brilliant. If you can get a moat involved, <laughs> it's open to the public, but you know only sort of within reason. I think. Yeah. What I don't like about it is got a load of fins on one side of it, which look a bit rubbish. Just no. Practically, it's just purely. Yeah, but they don't look nice. Bad, That's my issue. Bad with it, aesthetics. Yeah. yeah. But it's people, a lot of people have not liked it. The design ain't gone down well university. It's rough, it's all right. I think um, the smart thing with moats is you can make it out to be a design choice, but it's clearly a security yeah. consideration, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, interesting potentially having the Chinese government next door. I mean, yeah. the two biggest countries in the world were having their, you know, their uh, preeminent Western European embassies in South London and um, people will flock won't they in terms of like the Dutch have come over but people start building embassies they're going to build it in Nine Elms aren't they yeah well also um, maybe like get a couple in Brixton but it seems odd um, for America and China to become neighbours well America have built it America are going in I mean that's like that's done and uh, yeah China I don't know maybe that I mean yeah it is a bit strange isn't it yeah they're not natural uh Diplomatic bedfellows. So as we've said, you know, 10 years time, 
20 years time 30 years time people will listen to this podcast and go you know what South and Hulk were right <laughs> you know while they're sort of in their apartment block in Nine Elms maybe they'll see like a, they'll be looking at them and they're going I can't even imagine what this place was like before and a little sort of Chiquita rapper that once held bananas <laughs> and just fly past the window and they go maybe it was all true maybe they could stick the optimists of Nine Elms on and see what it when it, before, was, like when it was grimy <laughs> yeah the optimists of Nine Elms which we talked about in episode 45 Thames Mead on screen is shot partly in Nine Elms, I think. Yeah. But they... Um, was it not, not shot in Nine Elms because the area had changed too much? I think I think it was partly shot in Nine Elms, but they couldn't shoot everything in Nine Elms. I think that was the thing, wasn't it? Thanks for listening. If you go to southlandthehardcore.com, there'll be more stuff on there. You, We recently did um, a new sort of episode, guys. If you're new to the show and you're thinking, oh, man, I'd love to... Uh, I can't listen to 65 episodes of this. They're talking about these Voxel episodes they've done and these yeah. episodes where it talks about the Optimus and I know. How can, can I find out which... These? Yeah, click on the episode guide. Facebook.com slash Hardcore. On Twitter, we're at SLHC. Let us know you're listening. And if you're going to buy anything from Amazon, as I said before, go to SouthLondonHardcore.com first and click the Amazon link and we'll get a little bit of cash. A couple of people popped on this week. Uh, Paul and Yvonne. Both bought a few books as well, didn't they? They're not messing around. They're not just going and getting a book. They're getting like you know three, four books. Mm-hmm.